0: Anybody not have one of those? I know we have a few more that we can hand out. There's some up here. If you don't have one, you could walk all the way down front, in front of everyone while they watch, and um, make sure that you get one of these. And uh, if you don't have one, I think they have some at the back as well. That'll be ready for you. All right, look, if you would, there at your lesson sheet. We're going to be in a number of places in Scripture, but I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5 as we begin tonight. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read some verses that will be familiar to us, especially if you've been with us studying Matthew very long over the last few months. And um, we're going to read some of those in just a moment. But as you look there and you have your lesson sheet out, hopefully you have something to write with if you need to Lean over and borrow one from somebody, or I think there's some back at the Welcome Center as well. Um, Grab something that you can jot some things down with and keep notes in your phone or wherever you need to. And a number of things tonight and over the next few weeks that we want to work through together. So, what is the purpose? Why are we doing this? I teased somebody a little earlier. There's been two or three different times in the last couple months that the gear we've tried to gear back into and go back into some of our... Adult groups, adult study groups, and uh, one time there was some technicality that didn't work out, and we've been studying some things together about witnessing and our call as uh, a church to teach God and introduce God to others, and by that, winning them to Christ. We went through some questions that were submitted by some of you and members and walked through some of those questions for a few weeks around Christmas time. And then now, looking at this, this is a particular idea, of course, that we were going to offer as an adult Bible group. It wasn't going to be quite as long as some of uh, the other fellowship groups that we do, but uh, thinking about church membership and initially thinking about it geared toward those that may be prospective members interested in being a member of our church and what all that entails or interest in our church and a number of people that have expressed interest in that in the last few weeks. And so we're going to offer that as one. But again, as I talk to people and uh, some of the men in our church, just bouncing some ideas off of them for some other things and other classes. And I mentioned this. They said, well, we should do that together. Several different people said we should do that together uh, so that we're all sort of organized. And what's the goal in doing this together? You say, I've been a member here for 40 years. Why should I go through A short membership class. I've been a member at a church for quite a while. I've been a Christian for a long time. Why should we go through this? Well, some of it, there's some deeper implications in scripture as to what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And we want to be on the same mindset with that as a local church and unified in that. We also want to be able to offer this idea or this class. It's not a, a long class. It's not a very Academic or extensive class, but we want to be able to offer it a number of times throughout the years. As, as we have uh, people that are interested in membership, or as we have people that are interested in our church or new to our church, and we want a number of people, a number of people to be able to teach that and walk through it with them. So whether it's a couple of men or a couple of different couples that are working with. Uh, a group of people, and we kind of want to rotate through that. So if we've all been through that at different times, it'll help us sort of be on the same page. But I think that we can very quickly get out of touch with God's intention for His people. Uh, You look at the Old Testament, you see it quite often. How often did God's people get out of touch with His purpose for them? And I think that as a church, quite frankly, we can often get out of touch with what God desires that we be as individuals, yes, but then corporately as a group. If you were to ask many people in America or throughout the world, what is a church, you'd have huge differing explanations. What makes a good church also huge differing explanations? What does it mean to be a church member? Again, a variety of answers to that. And uh, what are your responsibilities? What are your uh, privileges as a church member? And what does it mean? What qualifies someone as a church member? And what does the Bible teach and say about that? And there's a lot of ways that we can get stretched very quickly apart from what God intends for us to be as people. And so it's a good thing to come back every now and then and ground ourselves to what it is that God instructs that we be as a group of people as christians but as his body so we're going to walk through this and i hope uh, we have a good number of people here tonight and then i know we have a lot of adults down in kids club and i know we have a number of people uh still traveling or out i know unfortunately we have a few that are sick and ill and be checking up and praying for our church members that's part of what we do we care for one another physically i know we have uh i believe it's two or three different families who are traveling got to their destination, enjoyed time with family, and are ill at their destination. I know one with COVID and one with the flu and a number of different things, but my hope is that in the next few weeks together as a group, whether it's in person in on Sunday evenings, whether it's kids' uh, kids class, adults, even the workers there will be able to go back and listen to it. I kind of want us to all walk through this uh, together. And whether if you're a member of our church, that's great. We'll be strengthened in it. If you're not... Uh, then I hope that you'll be encouraged to come and be a part of what God is doing here and what He intends for us. And that's the goal for the next uh, few weeks that we have together. All right, let's look, if you would, you have your lesson sheet, and hopefully you can look through and follow that. If you don't, Again, if you don't have one, you just came in, I think there's some at the back that you can get and follow along with us. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, if you would, Matthew chapter 5. We studied here quite a number of weeks ago, probably a number of months ago now, as Jesus began teaching his kingdom. And uh, we don't use those words synonymously necessarily, that God's kingdom is also the church, Um, but we know that they are a part of each other, that the church is part of how God's kingdom works and functions. So as Jesus begins to teach about his kingdom, he is teaching us a little bit about how he works, the mind of God. And Notice, if you would, as Jesus begins in chapter 5, look at verse number 2, that he gets up to a mountain, he begins to get set with his disciples and those following. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and then notice his description. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are those blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice his description there. Uh, that does not sound like he like Jesus is coming to earth to gather a cast of all-stars to make the greatest physical force that the world has ever seen. That's not the description that you find here. Notice if you just walk through, maybe your, my Bible is just, it's not uh, columns, it's line over line. And so mine are all lined up sort of right in a row. The poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, those that are humble, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, meaning they realize they don't have it those that are merciful, that are pure in heart, that make peace, those that are persecuted. And you see there the first kind of quote that you have. Jesus didn't come into the world to merely just start a new group, uh, a new social group or a new status. Those were already, mankind's been doing that for quite a long time. But he came to start a whole new kind of community in a world that focuses on extremes of magnificence at times and brutality at others, Jesus gave his life to start a community that was classified by its beauty. What do you mean by beauty? By all of these different parts of humanity and all these different types of people brought together by redemption under the blood of Christ to be assembled into one unit or one body together. You have there, think about those We just read the Beatitudes, but you have a blank there, and we'll work on this in a little while. If you think of some even now, you can jot some down. But think about the type of people that Jesus welcomed, celebrated, and used to begin his work and ministry. Uh, Just think about it. Think of some of the descriptions of some of his apostles, uh, some of those that he uh, dearly befriended, some of those that he called to follow him, some of uh, those everybody from... Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, to Mary Magdalene, who lived a life of sin as far as we know it, to rough fishermen, to religious zealots. He called all sorts of people from all sorts of places to be a part of this thing, this body that he would leave on earth. And we know that eventually he calls it his church. It's the same way you wouldn't start a research group to develop a You know, a new medicine or uh, some new technicality or practice in medicine or medical things with medical school dropouts. You wouldn't do that. You would want the best of the best. Uh, You wouldn't want to begin an engineering project with people that are champions of Lego building, though there's some elaborate Lego building. That's not where you would begin. You wouldn't start a new sports team with people that have just downloaded an exercise app to start the new year and are thinking about changing their diet. That's not who you would start an elaborate, great athletic team with. But Jesus doesn't call us based on, you have a quote there, he doesn't call us based on our strengths. That's not how and why we join the church. And that's one thing we have to think about as we begin as church members. And we think about what it means to be a church. We don't join a church or become a part of a, of a body. And I will we'll use this the next few weeks. We don't talk about church as far as a building, a place, a club, an address, or, or a thing in terms of a, 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 a physical uh, group or fellowship in this world that functions that way. It's far more than that. Church is people. And we don't come to the church and we don't join the group of people that is the church because of our strengths. And We don't join it because of how we agree. We don't join it because of even how we think. We don't join it or we don't come to it once we have reached a, a certain level of religious ability or knowledge. That's not the way that it works. Think about it. We are so different. The church is so different than any other functioning group in the world. You don't have to invest a certain amount to then be, decide if you're going to be a part of it. You don't have to have a certain amount of knowledge or uh, wisdom in a certain field to be able to t- take a test and become part of the club. Jesus calls us not based on our strength. He does not say, come be a part of this so you can make it better. He calls us in our need. And he says, come be a part of this because this is what I have designed to make you better. It's the exact opposite often of what we think and conceive the church to be. That the church is a place for religious people who have figured out things and have read the Bible and discovered certain things about But quite the opposite. The call of Jesus on the church is to everyone that believes. There's no one excluded. There's no one that is a child of God that is excluded from the call to be a part of His church, the body of Christ. Yes, we will help contribute. And yes, God will use the blessings and talents that he's given us to help accomplish things together. But he first calls us because of our need, not because of our strength. Because he knows that he has called us to work and gather and be together in these things. So even as church members, sometimes we have our mindset about the church backward. We think about our place and what we contribute and what we are by our personality. But rather, God has called us in our need and that it's not refined to certain talents, abilities, people, or denominations. You notice we see that we come in our need, but notice if these categories that we listed. And this is what we're going to focus on the next few weeks. We're really only going to cover one tonight, and on other nights we'll we'll cover two or three each time that we gather. But here's some different categories. This is not an outline give us to, given to us in Scripture. Actually, there's nowhere that you can go in Scripture that is the definitive text on church and church membership that you just don't find that you look at the whole of scripture the, the bible's teaching about the church and church membership is more holistic in the sense that it teaches it over the whole of the new testament you don't just take a part of it and list it all out and so these are different concepts or gospel themes if you would that are to be descriptors of the church that we want to have in our own lives but also as a church and notice Then we're going to focus on some of these as we walk through the next few weeks. And Notice it says belonging. What does it mean to belong to the church? The gospel calls you not just to have your sins forgiven, but to belong to something that you are now found in Christ. And what does that mean? Then there's welcoming and there's a sense of hospitality and that we are not called into God's body to then exclude others. It's a different kind of... I use the term loosely, club. It's a different type of membership in which it is not the value of it is not based on its exclusivity. It's, it's not so great. The church is not great because we keep certain people out. The greatness and the glory of the church is the reverse, is that in grace and mercy, we welcome others to come to Christ as well. And so it is not, I have found my place and I keep others out that are not like me, but I have found my place in Christ and I long for others to find their place in Him as well. That there's then there's different elements of this, not in any particular order, but there's welcoming, there's gathering. We gather in different ways, at different times, for different purposes. We gather to worship. We gather to edify one another. Sometimes we just come together to just encourage one another. Where we don't necessarily open and walk through a sermon, but there may be a time that we come together just to speak and share the burdens and issues of life, but to encourage and edify one another. Then there's a way that we express caring and the extension of Jesus in that way by serving as following the example of Christ, by honoring and lifting him up, by honoring and preferring one another and those around us, by witnessing that we are called to do this together in a personal way, but also by sending a strategic way in which we seek to reach the world. We're going to reference some of that in just a moment. I want you to think about this. It says, we hope that in studying these that we will gain a spirit of expectancy and a new love with joy in our hearts, that instead of finding faults in ourselves, haven't you ever noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, I notice it even in myself a lot, That sometimes my connection to the church is based on my perception of myself. I get as involved as I feel strong in that moment. I do as much as I think I am capable of. But rather than looking at it as a view of myself or even looking down on a view of others, but that we marvel at the privilege that we get to do this together. A place where Jesus is present and preeminent. We have a number of verses tonight, and I may even call on some to read them if we have the opportunity and time. But I want you to look, if you would, at Galatians chapter 4. What is the church? Let's start with that question. What is the church? Is the church, Is there, a, a, there are different biblical verses that we can take, or scriptural verses that we can take and say this is a fairly refined definition. But again, there's nowhere in scripture that says church... Here is the clear, crisp definition of this and what it's going to look like in each individual time period and generation. But there are truths that do not change about it. And so we want to focus on those. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse number 4. In fact, I'll read and I'll leave off at times and you fill in where I leave off. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to what? Redeem them that were under the law that we might what? Receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through who? Christ. So you see first that our relationship as a church is not based on how I relate to you. That has nothing to do with what a church should look like. There are times, there are places of people that we, we go to church or we go to a church or body and we sort of classify it in our minds by how am I like the others in that church. And there's a different variation to do the think the same or like the same, the same uh, sort of economic or socioeconomic economic makeup or is it is it the same age is are they young to a certain point are they older point? are they not too young are they in the middle are they a blend of all of those things the bible never defines the church by any of those ways here is this a very short description he has called you and redeemed us by jesus christ in the thing that we have received through him by his blood, by, from God the Father through his Son, now left in us by the Holy Spirit. And notice we, he says we are no more servants that we do not. And what he means by that is we don't labor for God's affection and the, labor for God's uh, view and relationship with us, but we have it in that we are sons. And if we are all sons, then what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, we are family in Christ. Look will you what at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So the church, before it ever is a place of gathering, before it ever is a type of gathering, before it can ever be described by its tendencies, by its preferences, by its methods or attributes stylistically before it's ever defined by any of that. It is defined by the relationship that people have to each other through the Lord. Notice Romans 8 verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the adoption whereby we cry. Notice here, just like we read a moment ago in Galatians, Abba, Father. It's, it's our perception of our view toward our God. That's what joins us. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our witness that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also, that we may be also glorified... Together. And let's look at one other. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So the church is first a family. Before it is ever an organization, and, and you could call it that, before it is ever a group of people, before it is ever a chartered governing body of believers, before it is ever any of those things, it is first a family. Notice if you would First Timothy chapter three, look at verse fifteen. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the what, what's this phrase, house. the house of God. Now that description there is not referring to a building. It is not saying this is how you behave when you are within the walls of the church. There's really not a lot of description period about that in the New Testament, primarily because of how they were meeting but how the early church was called to gather together. They didn't own buildings in those sense. They didn't set up auditoriums or sanctuaries or temples. They would sometimes gather within a synagogue if it was a Jewish city and they would worship the Lord there together. It was often within their own houses. So when he says here how you should behave within the house of God, he's not saying this is how you should behave when you gather together in that room that you have paid off or are making payments on on Sunday together. That's not it. This is how you behave within the house, the family, the same way. Sometimes you refer to your home. It's the makeup of those that you love. Notice it says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the ground, meaning the fortress or the bastion of truth. So before we are ever anything else, we are a family, a family that is called the church and the church as a family. What is our goal? We are the pillar We are the fortress. We are the root foundation of truth that God has left in this world. You see the weight of responsibility building on us as a church because it is not just about do you come enough? Do you, do you go enough on Sunday mornings? Do you give enough in the offering? Do you do enough uh, ministries? Do you say the right things? Do you go to the right places? Are you there enough times? It's not about that first. Those things can and will come. It is first. Your, our responsibility as a church is an exciting, thrilling, joyful thing. If I were to say, I want you to join this group and you're going to come together a couple hours a week. And some of you are going to practice things. A few of you are going to be responsible to keep other ones' kids. I mean, that, that doesn't exactly sound for some of you, for some of us. It doesn't sound like the most thrilling thing. You're going to watch each other's kids. You're going to come together. You're going to sit for an hour, listen to the same guy every week. He's going to talk about some things and tell you what you should and should not do. Then there's going to be some activities, and you have to decide if they're for you or not for you, and if they apply to you and if they should. You should go, and if you don't go... You should feel bad about not going. You're also going to try to bring other new people into your club. I mean, this almost starts to sound like a pyramid, pyramid scheme if you go up the wrong way. Because if you don't build who we are as a church first on what the Bible tells us we are, it's going to, it sounds miserable, does it not? Like, come sit in the same room, do some of the same things, contribute financially if you can, do some of the same things together, and then get others to do that. That is not the church. We are first called as a family responsible to one another, not because of what we have done for each other, but because of what God has done for us. We are not beholden to one another because we have acted in a certain way to each other. We are beholden to one another because God has said, if I saved you, you are all part of my family. You are all children of God. And if sons, then heirs, sons of the living God. So we are sojourners. Notice this description. We're a family of travelers that are not yet home. Look if you have First Peter chapter 2. This is a good one. First Peter 2, verse number 11. First Peter 2, verse 11. dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Notice the responsibility he gives with it. Sure, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation, meaning your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they may buy your good works, which they shall behold. Glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, look, you're strangers. You're traveling through this life and this world knowing that this life is not your final life and knowing that this home, physically, is not your final home. So you can live in a way that is so different from everyone else, that when they look at you, that ultimately, in the end, they'll be able to glorify God too, because they were so attracted to the difference. The, the, the life that you lived, committed to the Lord, highlighted so deeply what God had done in your life, that it was obvious to those around you, this they're not from around here. They're they're not from here. They may have grown up, they may have lived here. I was born in Henry Doctors and I and I've lived in the Richmond area most of my life. But I hope that I live in a way that those around me and from the Richmond area would look at me and say, he is something is different. He's not from around here. I don't mean he didn't he grew up in another state or city. His mind is geared towards something else. And that should be the descriptor of us as a church. So let's look at how the church is. What are we first? We're a family. And why is the church then necessary? Why is it necessary to be organized in this way if we are a family? Because sometimes family feels like an informal setting, right? And we would say family is sort of by blood. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 while we're thinking. We'd say family is by blood, but there's a deeper definition of family. There's different types of family. There are people you're related to in this world that you don't ever see, that you don't ever talk to, for for one reason or another. Could be bad, could be good, could be just your distant cousins or whatever. I don't know. You're related to certain people in this world by blood that you have no relationship with. So you're family, but you're not family. And the church is never supposed to be that way. We don't say, well, we're of the same blood, and so if we see each other, that's great. If there's a family reunion once a year, that's fine. If we run into each other at the holidays, hopefully we won't scream and yell. Like, that is not the family that God has described for us in His church. But rather there're other people that there's a deeper relationship with. I'm privileged to have a pretty good relationship with everybody that that I know, at least in, in my family. They may they may maybe they can't stand me, but I generally like most of them. We get together, we talk, we play games, we can sit in silence and watch a movie or whatever it may be. We can talk in deeper ways and in relationships we help each other with different projects or things. We contribute to one another. That's what makes us a family. Not just that we're related by blood, but that we actually function together. That's what makes us a deeper family. Look if you would, First Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 15. It says, meditate upon these things. Give thy, and he's just given a description of warning of false teachers, how we attribute to one another as a church. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to what? To all. Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. We are not in this alone. The Bible doesn't teach us of any lone ranger Christians, but rather we are together working for the good of all. So let's look at the last thing on this page at least. It says, what are the responsibilities, the, the, the ones listed above that They're not just responsibilities, they're privileges. And there's joy in them. So why is it then that we are often not too thrilled of being part of a church? Some of you we have a few golfers in the church and uh, there's different ones of you that have golfed in different places all around the world. I like golf. I'm not very good at it and I don't get to do it as much as I'd like or as I should if I wanted to be good at it, but I enjoy it. I enjoy watching it sometimes on TV and there's certain places that they're beautiful, but everyone knows that there is an elusive, exclusive place that every real golfer in the world wants to play one time. Where is it? Just say it. Where is it? St. Andrews, maybe even more exclusive than that. Because I can, I can actually get in there. The Augusta National Golf Club. I've got to have a billion dollars, and they will not let me play there unless I am invited to play there. I, I have to get in. And if I were to get an invitation, I'm not. I heard this week about a man who got, the wrong, who got an invitation. It was the wrong guy that got invited. He got invited to come play the Masters. Had the same name as a professional golfer. His wife's name is the same. And evidently he lived in the same general region. And he got a letter from the Masters inviting him to come play in the Masters tournament this year. And he ended up contacting the actual golfer. The golfer was terrified because he was supposed to get it by a certain date. He hadn't received it yet. You can imagine, this normal guy, who's not a professional golfer, probably not even that good of a golfer, gets an invitation to come play, not just at the course, but in the most exclusive tournament on earth. And think of the privilege, I mean, he's just, woo! he's excited. And if any of us got it, like, Mr. Sansab had, had back surgery, and so he's kind of getting back into his golf mode. But I, I guarantee you, if he got an invitation to play at Augusta tomorrow, he'd probably try or at least you would go watch. I mean, just thrilled about it. Why is it that we get to be a part of the greatest body that has ever been known on this earth? The body of Christ. And yet our mentality sometimes is like, well, I'll, I'll do that because I have to. I'll do it so I don't make God upset. I'll do it because other Christians expect certain things. I think there's a number of reasons. You have some blanks there. You can fill it in. Your own reasons. I've jotted down a few. Maybe some of them will prompt other thoughts in your mind. But... Why is it that sometimes being part of a church is not so thrilling? Sometimes people have experienced hurt and pain. I think that's maybe one of the number one reasons I ever hear people say, I am a Christian, but I'm not part of a church. One of the number one reasons I ever hear is they're hurt in some way by others, by family, by other Christians, by an action maybe that was inadvertent, by a decision that someone made, by leadership, and even by pastors. And say, i have hurt in this way, and it's a deep hurt, and I don't want to open myself up to that hurt again. Because sometimes when the deepest relationships of our lives are severed, it's the most painful. There's people that are preoccupied with other things, they don't see the importance of it. Some are pro-church in theory, but not in reality. They think of it as optional, like, I will exercise if I get this... You know, if if it's good for me today, if it's sunny outside, I'll go fishing. It's just sort of an accessory of life, not a necessity. Sometimes we love the idea, but we don't have real deep, true fellowship, which is what we are called to do as a church. If someone comes and sits, but doesn't get all the benefits of it. Like if I was going to get invited to Augusta National Golf Club, but when I get there, I don't get to play in the tournament. I don't get to eat with the golfers at the big banquet. I don't get to even go out on the course and watch the other ones play. I get there and they say, you know what? We have this office area over here. We're going to bring you in here and we're going to give you this book that tells you all about the old tournaments. And we want you to look through this while everyone else goes and plays and does things. I don't really care about that. Like I could Wikipedia all that same stuff and it's, it's not it's not a good thing. It doesn't help me. There's nothing honoring there. There's nothing exciting about it. And sometimes we aren't thrilled to be a part of a church because we're not getting to experience the greatest parts of it that are described in Scripture. Fellowship with each other real deep relationship with one another, edification that brings us up toward Jesus Christ. If we're not having those things as part of a church, we're not having the part of the church that Jesus intends for us to have first, before all of the other things. So if my relation to a church is most greatly defined... If you sit in the same chair every week, I'm not, this is not a slant toward you. But if your deepest and best connection to the church is the chair that you're sitting in because you're there on most weeks. That is a weak and anemic relationship on any level. There's so many other ways that some are tired or hurt. Some are, uh, have difficulty and sorrow and drama, and their connection to the church is defined by those things. Don't get me wrong, it's not always happy and, and, and wonderful connection. We, we deal with sorrow together, but there's times where that's our only connection to the church. So how do we get past those things? And here's what I want to focus on for these last few minutes. Together, you flip the page over there and you see this idea of belonging. and That's the only one that we're going to focus on tonight. Tonight's sort of an introduction. If you came tonight to hear about what we say in our church covenant or what our church belief is or our constitution, I think there's some still at the Welcome Center. You're welcome to get those and look through them, read through them again. We just updated a lot of those things in the last couple of years. And they're important. But if you came to hear that, we are not that first. We are first family. We are first joined by our relationship in and through Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that's a gift? It is grace. Sometimes we think church would be wonderful if there wasn't for the relationships of and the other people that were there. Like We shouldn't think that, but sometimes we do. It's like, if we could just go in and hear wonderful, awesome music, uplifting things, if we could hear somebody pray a beautiful prayer, if the preacher would actually like have his act together and speak clearly and be funny and also make me cry and pause at all the wrong times, I would go home a better Christian and love my church more. That's not how we're wired. God wired us for relationships. God, everyone knows this. God is a triune God. There's three parts in one. There's three parts bound together. He even displays by his very nature that he is a relational God. We are created in His what? Amen. We are relational people. It's it's built into us. I want you to think. I asked Dan this afternoon. I was with him at lunch. He is a a wealth of random. I call it old school information. You know, and just just full of wisdom and useless knowledge just full of it so I asked and I said Dan I'm trying to think through think about what we entertain ourselves with sometimes as people it even shows that we are bent toward desiring relationships we, we just we do now I don't care if you're outgoing or introverted believe it or not I am a naturally very introverted person my natural inclination where what I think is that I'd rather be with no one most of the time like that's that's just me I have to fight through that and what the Lord gives us. But I also recognize that that is not the way that it's supposed to be. That some of that is because of my sin nature. Because in actuality, I am created to have relationship with God and with others. Think about how we entertain ourselves. I wrote down, think about some popular TV shows. Now, what makes a good TV show or a movie? Like a good theme, a driving mystery, there's intrigue, maybe there's laughter, but there's a purpose and a plot that carries from one thing to the next and it it drives through its intrigue and just, yes, this is moving through, it tells me a story. But I want you to think, we think that's what we want, but think about some of the most popular TV shows in American history that are built around a small group of people in a very small environment. And we love it. And the storyline doesn't go anywhere. Like, Andy Griffith did nothing for seven seasons or whatever it was, really accomplished nothing. Like, there was no real mystery or intrigue. Like, nothing really changed. I mean, there's a couple characters that came on and went off, but we're entertained by relationships that people had. I mean, think about some of the, one of the most, it says, we look up some of the most popular or the highest rated TV shows in history. MASH. It's just people talking. Cheers. It's all shot in like one room. Like people, society watched, uh, acting, fake relationships. Society watched like eight or nine people in one room for a decade and loved it. Why? Because we could connect to the relationship. I say we. I was too young to remember everything really about that show but there's others you can fill it in we watch reality tv shows that are about what i mean the bachelor the bachelorette and who's going to marry who and who knows who survivor who makes a pact between others we're not actually watching because anything entertaining's happening people watch because we're drawn to connections and relationships and how they function the same thing with social media. We have learned to live independent of one another, but the popularity of social media comes from, in our hearts, we have a desire to know people and to be known by people. And in the last decade, social media has offered this really easy way to do that. In fact, it's I'd say I would say, in a way, it's a false way to do that. Because I can know others... Like, I can read everything you've done. If you're willing to put it out there, I can read everything that you have eaten and done. The five times that you exercised this year, you posted about that. The four great meals you cooked and the heartburn you got after it. I mean, I can know everything about you, but not actually know you. And I desire to be known. Like, there are people in the last few years that started, like, they're... Friend group is relatively small, but they've done a few things that have made them popular. And now thousands of people will follow them and they post things online or whatever it may be. I'm not condemning it necessarily. But there's this natural inclination. I want to know others and I want them to know me. And so I'm going to post. But the problem with that is I let them know what I want them to know. They let me know what they want me to know. And we don't actually know each other. But Christ calls the church to be the opposite of that. He calls us to know one another and to be known by one another. And so, if you or I, if you're a church member, you're part of this church, and you have very little deep relationship with anyone in this church, you are not experiencing what God has called you to experience in this place. It's just not there. That's not the intention that God had for you. Yes, we're to worship together. And yes, we are to learn and educate one another and edify, yes, but He has first called us and defined us by our relationship as family. Let's hurry through these last few sin in the same way that sin breaks our relationship with God, it also breaks our relationship with others, and so it only makes sense that as we are reconciled to God, He helps us reconcile he helps reconcile us one to another through the gospel. that's one of the greatest testimonies of the church of the church as a whole is that God can not only make mankind right with him but he can make mankind right with one another that people that have no connection that people that have no outside similarities that people that actually with what culture and the world says should be at absolute odds with each other you make more money than I do You have more leisure than I do. Your health is better than mine is. We're a different race. We're a different culture. We're different people. You grew up in the mountains, and I'm from the flatland. You know, in all these different... That's that's how they describe... You go to West Virginia, they don't trust flatlanders. You know, I have family there. That's the way it works. You, You grew up in a different place. I grew up in a different way. We've had different experiences. There's nothing that should connect us. But Christ overwhelms them all. And so we should be a great testimony, not because we're a church of people that have found other Christians like them. The better testimony of the church is a church that has found Christians that are the stark opposite of them. And yet the gospel unifies and brings them together. The church is a gospel-centered community of believers. Notice this, who joyfully serve one another. This, This is how Jesus views the church. Believers who joyfully serve one another And advance the mission of Jesus together. So we're talking tonight, you should desire to belong. If you're a Christian, you should desire to belong not to a covenant piece of paper, not to a church roll, and not to a building. You should desire to belong to the other people in this room. You should desire to belong to your family. Like, how discouraging. And some of you have experienced this, and I know it must be a painful thing how discouraging must it be for a parent to have a child, and the child chooses, "I no longer want to belong to you. I no longer want there to be a relationship there." It's de- it's discouraging. It would be depressing. And yet, within the church, we should desire to belong to one another. You see, there the church that as a church. We be- what do we be- as in belonging to one another? What do we accomplish? We are called to carry out the great commandment, which God says is to love God above all things, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is likened to it, joined to it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, but love God with everything you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. So together we carry out the great commandment and the great commission, which is to make disciples of Jesus from all nations. I want you to turn, if you would, Very quickly, as we get ready to wrap up, look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I've been so burdened and, burdened maybe not the right word, just moved in these last few weeks and years. You You know, if you've been here long, you know my story even coming here as pastor. I'm still trying to figure some things out because we came and Pastored, four weeks later, COVID hit, and how do we handle those things? And the world changed, and things are different. And even as a church, as a group, there's things that we've done different. But I've been never more burdened and moved, at least as I am right now, for what God gives us in giving us one another as a church body. So these next few weeks, I want you to think, look at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Look at what should motivate us speaking here to titus who's pastoring he's preaching to a church notice this phrase verse 14 he's talking about jesus christ at the end of verse 13 verse 14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works so these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority let no man despise thee. But notice that phrase. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity, to purify and call to himself a people. God, Jesus Christ, died for this. He died so we could belong to one another. Because apart from him, we cannot. Think about it for a second. As difficult as it is for me to imagine, My son, both my sons and my daughter and my wife, my connection to them without Jesus only lasts to the end of this life. It goes no further. Uh, That's terrifying. Because I love them. I would give anything for them. I love to be with them. I I love the family that God has given to us. He has blessed us in that way. I have other family members extended and direct, but that small unit family, but as deep of a connection as I feel to them, apart from Christ, it lasts while I'm here. And when I die, that relationship goes with me. Unless through Jesus, the power of Christ, not just to save me from hell, but to give me a connection to other people that lasts past the grave. I pray more than anything that my kids will be redeemed, that they'll be saved through Jesus Christ, not just so that they can sit in a church and be members for a long enough time, but because that will let God connect me to them in a deep, eternal, everlasting way. And in the same way that He will give me that through them, if they come to Him, He gives it to us. And you connect to one another and those in this room and those that are part of the church deeper than anyone else in this world that is apart from Christ. You can love your family and those that are blood, but if they are not in Christ, at this moment your connection to these people is more eternal than anyone else you've ever known or loved. That's the type of relationship that He calls us to. The Bible rejects the idea that we can belong to His universal body without being a part of His local church. It rejects that. There's never any indication that someone can be a part of God's outward universal, the church as a whole around the world, without also being part of His local church. It doesn't mean that someone isn't a Christian unless they're a member of a local church, but it does mean that without that, they are not getting what Jesus has called for them to be. We won't go through it tonight, but you have there the idea of membership. That's for you to work on on your own and look at some verses to jot out but I without reading the verses I'll give you some of them you say well you know the Bi- I hear this this um, interjection sometimes the bible doesn't say anything about ever joining a church or being a member of a church you are right it doesn't it doesn't say that you sign a covenant and join it and get on put on a roll it does give flexibility to the local church to decide how best to organize that I think but what does scripture what does scripture say about it? Well, Matthew 18, it talks about church discipline, and it assumes that people within the church are identifiable to one another. First Corinthians chapter five, it talks about expelling an immoral, unrepentant member. To be frank, it's a man who is having an adulterous relationship with his what would be his stepmother. Well, how could you do that unless you're part? How could you kick someone out of that or rebuke them or call them to repentance unless they were identified as being a part of you, being a member one of another? First Timothy 5 gives us a list of identifiable, identifiable actual people that he refers to Timothy to. Acts 2 and uh, 4 talk about the counting of people. It, it talks about real individual people. Hebrews 13 verse 17 talks about those that are called to lead the church, it says that they are accountable to God for how they steward and guide those that are under their authority and leadership. How else would you do that unless you have a local church body? I'm not responsible for a Christian that I've never met that lives in New Mexico or Texas or Botswana or Uruguay. I'm not responsible for their actions and their guidance of their Christian lives. But I am responsible as a pastor for those that God has brought under our leadership and influence in this church. So there is something that the Bible teaches to gathering and binding together in a local, sensible way. I want you to look, final, some of the last, we, we need to be done here in just a moment, but I want you to look, if you would, at Second John chapter 12. Do you desire to belong to one another? give you a little homework assignment. Some of this we were going to work on together. We'll do some of it a little bit next week as well, kind of in some breakout groups. But this week's just sort of an introduction. It says to read in Ephesians and describe what God is calling the local church or describing the local church in each of those verses verses in Ephesians. I want you to think about how ways and... Jesus described the church or the Bible described the church. He described us as living stones, members of the same body, members of the same family, all sorts of different metaphors he gives in Scripture. But look at Second John chapter, tw- excuse me, verse number 12. Notice what he describes them. "Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face. Notice this phrase that our joy may be full." notice how short in my bible it's it's like a half a page and he writes this letter and it's like it's like john maybe he's going to write a letter like he did in first john maybe like his gospel he's going to go a little longer and he just gets overwhelmed and he says to the point you know i could write a lot of things down that you should and shouldn't do but i want to see you and i want to talk about this together and i want to fellowship one with another so that why so i can rebuke you And so I can put you in your place so that it'll really stick, so that you'll always remember it. No, here's what he describes I don't want to write everything to you. I want to talk to you face to face. Why? So our joy can be full. Isn't that one of the best descriptions of what we should desire as a local church in belonging one to another? We could could go home and read stuff. I have a library of books, I have a couple hundred on my phone or devices. And I could get a lot of edification reading what people have said about the Bible. i go home and read the Bible myself. i go home and watch a service online. There's different preachers that I'll listen to during the week so that I can be preached to as well. And all of those things are good things, but they don't fill my joy in the same way that God has designed relationship with one another. I can't find it anywhere else. And there should be a desire in my heart to belong because God has given others to belong to me and for myself to belong to them. I want you to keep this sheet. I've gone a little long tonight and so we won't break out into different groups. I do encourage you to hang around for a little while tonight and fellowship a little bit more. I know there's some coffee and different things beginning of tonight. And in the next few weeks, we'll have some things out in the foyer, a little snack or drinks and come a few minutes early each week and fellowship together we'll look at some of these obstacles next week. What are some of the obstacles to belonging? Um, and we'll address those as we get to them. But I hope that more than nothing... So what, are we, what in the world are we talking about? What are we trying to accomplish? I hope that more than anything else, you sense tonight that the Bible has given you grace and a gift in the church. It doesn't have to be this church. In fact, you know what? I encourage somebody this week. I know I keep saying I've gone long and I keep talking. But I encourage somebody this week that's a member or excuse me, a couple weeks ago, they're a member of our church, and don't try to think through you. You won't be able. You won't be able to think of who it is. You may not even realize that they're a member of our church. Somebody's a member of our church. They've moved locations several different times and been in several different places, and they've left their membership here over the years. And they call. We were just talking back before. That, I asked them if they found a church and different things. And you know, it was a, kind of an odd thing as a pastor. But I kind of I counseled them. Find a church. And move your membership away from here. Because I don't care that your name is on a list. And I didn't say it quite this bluntly, but I walked through it. You are not getting what God designed for you to get. And I want you to get it. Where you are. I say, well, I may not stay here long. I'm moving around. I may not last. That's fine. But where you are right now, find people and belong to them. And let them belong to you. And the same should be true if you are here and you, God has allowed you to be here, whether it's this church or a different church. Find the people of God and belong to them because it is what God has designed for us to have in Him. Let's finish and close in prayer. In fact, let's take a moment and close together in prayer. I don't want to rush so fast that we don't have the opportunity to speak to the Lord. But maybe tonight as a couple, or I encourage you to slide over and play it with another couple or family And let's just spend two or three minutes tonight in in prayer as we close. Praying for one another, but praying that God over the next few weeks will show us how we can best belong to one another and then live out what He has given for us to live. You have some of the requests from our church, but more than that tonight, I want you to pray and just ask that God will burden... If you've been a member here your whole life, pretty much I have but that God would burden you as a member anew. Or if you're seeking membership or thinking about joining our church, I pray that God will, you pray even now, that God will encourage your heart and point you in the direction that he'd have for you to go. Well, let's pray together, and after a couple of minutes,